This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne Chapter 33 In which Phileas Fogg shows himself equal to the occasion. An hour after the Henrietta passed the lighthouse, which marks the entrance of the Hudson, turned the point of Sandy Hook, and put to sea, during the day she skirted Long Island, passed Fire Island, and directed her course rapidly eastward. At noon the next day a man mounted the bridge to ascertain the vessel's position. It might be thought that this was Captain Speedy, not the least in the world. It was Philly Fogg, Esquire. As for Captain Speedy, he was shut up in his cabin under lock and key, and was uttering loud cries, which signified an anger at once pardonable and excessive. What had happened was very simple. Phileas Fogg wished to go to Liverpool, but the captain would not carry him there. Then Phileas Fogg had taken passage for Borodex, and during the thirty hours he had been on board, had so shrewdly managed with his banknotes that the sellers and stokers, who were only an occasional crew and were not on the best terms with the captain, went over to him in a body. This was why Phileas Fogg was in command instead of Captain Speedy, why the captain was a prisoner in his cabin, and why, in short, the Henrietta was directing her course towards Liverpool. It was very clear to see Mr. Fogg manage the craft that he had been a sailor. How the adventure ended will be seen anon. Aoda was anxious, though she said nothing. As for Pispartout, he thought Mr. Fogg's maneuver simply glorious. The captain had said between eleven and twelve knots, and Henrietta confirmed his prediction. If then, for there were ifs, still, the sea did not become too boisterous. If the wind did not vary round to the east, if no accident happened to the boats of its machinery, the Henrietta might cross the three thousand miles from New York to Liverpool in the nine days between the twelfth and the twenty-first of December. It is true that, once arrived, the affair on board the Henrietta added to that of the Bank of England might create more difficulties for Mr. Fogg than he imagined or could desire. During the first days, they went along smoothly enough. The sea was not very unpropitious. The wind seemed stationary in the northeast. The sails were hoisted, and the Henrietta ploughed across the waves like a real transatlantic steamer. Pispartout was delighted. His master's last exploit 
the consequences of which he ignored, enchanted him. Never had the crew seen so jolly and dexterous a fellow. He formed warm friendships with the sailors, and amazed them with his acrobatic feats. He thought they managed the vessel like gentlemen, and that the stokers fired up like heroes. His loquitous good humor infected everyone. He had forgotten the past, its vexations and delays. He only thought of the end, so nearly accomplished, and sometimes he boiled over with impatience, as if heated by the furnaces of the Henrietta. Often, also, the worthy fellow revolved around Fix, looking at him with a keen, distrustful eye. But he did not speak to him, for their old intimacy no longer existed. Fix, it must be confessed, understood nothing of what was going on, the consequences of the Henrietta, the bribery of the crew. Fogg managed the boat like a skilled seaman, amazed and confused him. He did not know what to think, for after all, a man who began by stealing fifty-five thousand pounds might end by stealing a vessel, and Fix was not unnaturally inclined to conclude that the Henrietta, under Fogg's command, was not going to Liverpool at all, but to some part of the world where the robber turned into a pirate would quietly put himself in safety. The conjecture was at last a plausible one, and the detective began to seriously regret that he had embarked on the affair. As for Captain Speedy, he continued to howl and growl in his cabin, and Passepartout, whose duty it was to carry him his meals, courageous as he was, took the greatest precautions. Mr. Fogg did not seem even to know that there was a captain on board. On the 13th, they passed the edge of the banks of Newfoundland, a dangerous locality during the winter, especially there are frequent fogs and heavy gales of wind. Ever since the evening before the barometer suddenly failing had indicated an approaching change in the atmosphere, and during the night the temperature varied, the cold became sharper, and the wind veered to the southeast. This was a misfortune, Mr. Fogg, in order not to deviate from his course, furled his sails, and increased the force of the steam, but the vessel's speed slackened, owing to the state of sea, the long waves of which broke against the stern. She pitched violently, and this retained her progress. The breeze, little by little, swelled into a tempest, and it was to be feared that the Henrietta might not be able to maintain herself upright on the waves. Passepartout's visage darkened with the skies, and for two days the poor fellow experienced constant fright. But Phileas Fogg was a bold mariner, and knew now to maintain headway against the sea, and he kept on his course without 
even decreasing his steam. The Henrietta, when she could not rise upon the waves, crossed them, swamping her deck, but passed safely. Sometimes the screw rose out of the water, beating its protruding end, when a mountain of water raised the stern above the waves, but the craft always kept a straight ahead. The wind, however, did not grow as boisterous as might have been feared. It was not one of these tempests which burst and rushed into with a speed of ninety miles an hour. It contained fresh, but unhappily, it remained obstinately in the southeast, rendering the sails useless. The 16th of December was the 75th day since Phileas Fogg's departure from London, and the Henrietta had not yet been seriously delayed. Half of the voyage was almost accomplished, and the worst localities had been passed. In summer, success would have been well-nigh certain. In winter, they were at the mercy of the bad season. Pispartu said nothing, but he cherished hope in secret, and comforted himself with the reflection that if the wind failed them, they might still count on the steam. On this day, the engineer came on the deck, went up to Mr. Fogg, and began to speak earnestly with him, without knowing why it was a presentment. Perhaps Pispartu became vaguely uneasy. He would have given one of his ears to hear with the other what the engineer was saying. He finally managed to catch a few words, and was sure he heard his master say, You are certain of what you tell me? Certainly, sir, replied the engineer. You must remember that since we started, we have kept up hot fires in all our furnaces, and though we had coal enough to go on short steam from New York to Paradex, we haven't enough to go all steam from New York to Liverpool. I will consider, replied Mr. Fogg. Miss Partu understood it all. He was seized with the mortal anxiety. The coal was given out. Ah, oh, if my master could get over that, muttered he, he'll be a famous man. He could not help imparting to fix what he had overheard. Then you believe that we really are going to Liverpool? Of course. Us, replied the detective, shrugging his shoulders and turning on his heel. Pispartu was on the point of vigorously resenting the epithet, the reason of which he could not for the life of him comprehend, but he reflected that the unfortunate fix was probably very much disappointed and humiliated in his self-esteem after having so awkwardly followed a false scent around the world and refrained. And now the course would Phillies Fogg adopt. It was difficult to imagine. Nevertheless, he seemed to have decided upon one. For that evening, he sent for the engineer and said to him, Feed all the fires until the coal is exhausted. A few moments after, the funnel of the Henrietta vomited forth torrents of smoke. The vessel continued to proceed with all steam on. The 18th, the engineer, as he had predicted, announced 
that the coal would give out in the course of the day. Do not let the fires go down, replied Mr. Fogg. Keep them up to the last. Let the boughs be filled. Toward noon, Phileas Fogg, having asserted their position, called Pispartu and ordered him to go for Captain Speedy. It was as if the honest fellow had been commanded to unchain a tiger. He went to the poop, saying to himself, He will be like a madman. In a few moments, with the cries and oaths, a bomb appeared on the poop deck. The bomb was Captain Speedy. It was clear that he was on the point of bursting. Where are we? were the first words his anger permitted him to utter. Had the poor man been in a politic, he could never have recovered from his proxim of wrath. Where are we? he repeated with purple face. Seven hundred and seventy miles from Liverpool, replied Mr. Fogg, with imputable calmness. Pirate! cried Captain Speedy. I have sent for you, sir. Picaroon! Sir, continued Mr. Fogg, to ask you to sell me your vessel. No! By all the devils, no! But I shall be obliged to burn her. Burn the Henrietta? Yes. At last the upper part of her, the coal has given out. Burn my vessel! cried Captain Speedy, who could scarcely pronounce the words. A vessel worth fifty thousand dollars? Here are sixty thousand replied Mr. Fogg, handing the captain a roll of bank bills. This had prodigious effect on Andrew Speedy. An American could scarcely remain unmoved at the sight of $60,000. The captain forgot in an instant his anger, his impressionable and all his grudges against his passenger. The Henrietta was twenty years old. It was a great bargain. The bomb would not go off after all. Mr. Fogg had taken away the match. And I shall still have the iron hole, said the captain, in a softer tone. The iron hole and the engine. Is it agreed? Agreed. And Andrew Speedy, seizing the banknotes, counted them and consigned them to his pocket. During the colloquy, Spartu was as white as a sheep, and Fix seemed on the point of having an apoplectic fit. Nearly twenty thousand pounds had been expended, and Fogg left the whole engine to the captain, that is, near the whole value of the craft. It was true, however, that fifty-five thousand pounds had been stolen from the bank. When Andrew Speedy had pocketed the money, Mr. Fogg said to him, Don't let this astonish you, sir. You must know that I shall lose twenty thousand pounds unless I arrive in London by a quarter before nine on the evening of the twenty-first of December. I miss the steamer at New York, and as you refuse to take me to Liverpool... And I did well, cried Andrew Speedy, for I have gained at least forty thousand dollars by it. He added more speedily. Do you know one more thing, Captain Fogg? Captain Fogg, 
you've got something of the Yankee about you. And having paid his passenger what he considered a high compliment, he was going away when Mr. Fogg said, The vessel now belongs to me? Certainly, from the nail to the trunk of the masts, all the wood, that is. Very well. Have you the interior seats, bunks, and frames pulled down, and burn them? It was necessary to have dry wood to keep the steam up, to the adequate pressure, and on the day the poop cabins, bunks, and spare decks were sacrificed. On the next day, the 19th of December, the masts, rafts, and spears were burned. The crew worked lustily, keeping up the fires, with part too hewed, cut and sued away with all his might. There was a perfect rage for demolition. The railings, fittings, the greater part of the deck, and the topsides disappeared on the 20th and the Henrietta was now only a flat hulk. But on this day, they sighted the Irish coast and fastened it light. By ten in the evening, they were passing Queenstown. Philly's fog had only twenty-four hours more in which to get to London. The length of the time was necessary to reach Liverpool, with all steams on, and the steam was about to give out altogether. Sir, said Captain Speedy, who was now deeply interested in Mr. Fogg's project, I really commonstrate you. Everything is against you. We are only opposite Queenstown. Ah, said Mr. Fogg. Is that place where we see the light Queenstown? Yes. Can we enter the harbor? Not under three hours, only at high tide. Stay replied Mr. Fogg calmly, without betraying in his features that by a supreme inspiration he was about to attempt one more to conquer ill fortune. Queenstown is the Irish port at which the transatlantic steamer stopped to put off the mails. These mails are carried to Dublin by express trains always held in readiness to start from Dublin. They are sent on to Liverpool by the most rapid boats, and thus gain twelve hours on the Atlantic steamers. Phileas Fogg counted on gaining twelve hours in the same way. Instead of arriving at Liverpool the next evening by the Henrietta, he would be there by noon, and would therefore have time to reach London before a quarter before nine in the evening. The Henrietta entered the Queenstown Harbor at one o'clock in the morning. If then, being high tide, and Phileas Fogg, after being grasped hurriedly by the hand by Captain Speedy, left that gentleman on the leveled hulk of the craft, which was still worth half what he had sold it for. The party went on shore at once. Fix was greatly tempted to arrest Mr. Fogg on the spot, but he did not. Why? What struggle was going on within him? He had changed his mind about his man. Did he understand that he had made a grave mistake? He did not, however, abandon Mr. Fogg. They all got upon the train, 
which was just ready to start at half past one at dawn of day they were in dublin and they lost no time in embarking on the steamer which disdained to raise upon the waves invariably cut through them Philly's fog at last disembarked on the liverpool quay at twenty minutes before twelve twenty-first december he was only six hours distant from london but at this moment fix came up put his hands upon mr fogg's shoulders and showing his warrant said you are really phileas fogg i am i arrest you in the queen's name end of chapter thirty three this has been a tbol three production